And welcome to Marty Stacy Live. Very uh, special event today. Uh, hopefully we'll take the word debate to new heights. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, does Jesus Christ and the New Testament sanction divorce or not? And uh, we'll get to the guests here in just a moment. Joseph Webb, uh, author of Till Death Do Us Part, has been on the uh, program on uh, my show a couple of times and uh, generated a lot of questions. All right, uh, let's uh, introduce uh, our uh, speaker here uh, for uh, John's opponent. His name is uh, Dr. J- well, his name isn't doctor. His title is a doctor. Uh, Joseph Webb, he is a retired pastor. Uh, he has written a book called Till Death Do Us Part. Uh, Dr. Webb, would you take about two and a half minutes and uh, introduce yourself, sir, if you would be so kind? Thank you, Marty. It's good to be on KCR, KCRO again today with you. Um, looking forward to it. In fact, I'm going to be in Nebraska in two weeks speaking in Fremont. Uh, my uh, background was Christian and Missionary Alliance. I went to a Baptist seminary, went to a, uh, an interdenominational Christian university, and to another interdenominational seminary for my final degrees. My background was from Fremont, Nebraska, where I accepted the Lord back in 1951, and by 1952 I went away to college to study for the ministry. Came out of a non-Christian background. Uh, God used, allowed me to minister to youth and in the area of music, and then later in evangelism and pastoral work, and then uh, uh, I did uh, uh, international uh, seminars and so forth, but my last pastorate was for 23 years here in Florida. I retired from that in 1996, and today, um, since 1996, I have been traveling and doing seminars and promoting my books and teaching tapes, con- especially concerning biblical principles for Christian families and what the Bible really says about marriage and divorce. Let me ask you, too, uh, Dr. Webb, why don't you define uh, your view of Scripture and uh, your view of how a person becomes a Christian? Well, the the Scriptures are very, very clear on that, and I... uh in as much as I have spoken in many, many different denominations, 30-some different denominations, the, the one thing I emphasize to people is the denominational name means absolutely nothing other than it, it identifies a certain class of belief. But there are no denominations in God's mind. As far as God is concerned, there are only those who are redeemed and those who are not redeemed. And that redemption comes through repentance for our sins. Paul says we preach repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The tragedy today is that in most churches they're talking about faith in our Lord Jesus Christ but have forgotten the element of repentance or turning away from our sins. And the Bible is very clear to say, except we repent, we'll perish. And... um, we have what we call seeker-friendly churches today when we used to have altars uh, where the people would come to the altar and they would repent and they would seek the Lord and uh, then they'd commit their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I think we we need to get back to that and not emphasize so much our denominational. I I appreciate the fact that uh, Brother Malone is in a a non-denominational church. My last church was a a non-denominational community type church. And uh, so we didn't have just one thing to emphasize. Other than, we had one thing to emphasize, and that was the centrality of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the need to be born again. We are talking this afternoon on Marty Stacy Live and BibleStudy.net, two hours in a row. Does Jesus Christ sanction divorce in the New Testament? John Malone is uh, with us. I'm going to ask him to introduce himself and uh, talk about his uh, view on uh, scripture and how one becomes a Christian. Uh, John, you have two and a half minutes. Let's go now. 
Well, a couple things here, Marty. I want to ask you about that topic in a minute, but uh, let me let me give a, an introduction to those uh, listeners who haven't heard me introduce myself before. Uh, I was uh, I'm, I'm I'm from Omaha. I'm a native Omaha. I'm uh, 52 years old. I'm the grandfather of 16, two on the way. Um, I received the Lord as my Savior in 1975 uh, uh, th- through faith, simple faith, faith alone, and that's how I believe that a uh, person is born again. Uh, through faith in Jesus Christ, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. What is the gospel? How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, was raised again the third day according to the scriptures. Um, I believe in the, uh, that Jesus Christ is God Almighty incarnate. I believe he's a, a, in a literal physical body, flesh and bones at the right hand of God today. Uh, I believe he's coming again in person, in his physical body, Feet touched down, mount of olives to earth. Um, that's a, that's the the brief version of my faith. Now, as for your topic, how how about uh, your view of scripture? And I want to get back. Uh, every word of God is pure. Uh, God selected words from the earth. He sanctified uh, ordinary language, and uh, the word of God is God breathed. Uh, I believe in the plenary verbal inspiration of scripture. All right, I'm going to go to uh, Dr. Webb. Dr. Webb, I am assuming you hold a similar view of Scripture. Is that true before we start the debate here? Absolutely, and that's, and that's the thing I want to talk about. As long as we have the same foundation, that the Word of God is like silver, seven times refined, God speaks no unnecessary word. And then we balance the Word, Scripture with Scripture, to come to a clear picture. This brother and I are on the same page, and uh, I appreciate that very, very much. All right, let's uh, begin the uh, debate right now. We're going to ask uh, Dr. Joseph Abe Webb, uh, does Jesus Christ permit divorce in the New Testament? Uh, what is the New Testament standard? Uh, Dr. Webb, you have uh, four minutes starting right now. In order to say to bring this out, Marty, we have to go back to what marriage really constitutes. In the, in the book of Genesis, in the second chapter, God caused a sleep to fall upon Adam, and he created Eve and brought her to him. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of a man, out of man. And God immediately spoke up and said, therefore, something just took place that we have to take note of. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and there shall be one flesh. When Jesus spoke of this in Mark, the 10th chapter, he said concerning Jesus, but from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female, and for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh, so they are no more or never again twain, but one flesh. And what God therefore hath joined together, let not man put asunder. The Greek is even stronger, says no man may separate what God has joined together, literally. And, uh, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. So in the New Testament, the scriptures tell us that we are to, in the Old, excuse me, in the Old Testament, if somebody committed adultery, divorce was never necessary. They were stoned to death. In the New Testament, when Jesus was confronted with a woman who was, had committed adultery, which means she was a married person and had uh, adultery uh, or had sex outside of the marriage, Jesus forgave her and said, I don't care, excuse me, he didn't condemn her. But he said, go and sin no more. And today, for the, in the New Testament, the principle is not to get a divorce and get remarried, because it's a covenant. And that's the thing people don't understand. Marriage is a covenant. And God says, it's better never to make a vow to me than to make it and to break it. If you do, I personally will destroy the work of your hands. And that's why he says that let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond that is sin. And so when we come to the covenant, the, the terms of the covenant are until death. 
Paul said it. Jesus said it all the way through. Jesus said, whoever divorces his wife marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her that is put away in that divorce causes her to commit adultery. So it means sex outside that covenant by both or either one constitutes adultery until the term of the covenant is over, and that's death, only death. And uh, so in the New Testament, as far as the divorce is concerned, the only thing we have close to that is when Paul said a woman should not leave her husband, but if she does, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. Now that refers back to what God said in Jeremiah 3 he had done with Israel, his wife. He put her away in a divorce, and he said, because you've committed whoredoms and adulteries against me over and over and over again, I gave you a bill of divorcement. And then he goes on in verse 12 and says, but if you'll only repent, I will take you back because you are still my wife. Now, that means that God still today is not looking for a new wife. He's still waiting on his wife for reconciliation, for the nation of Israel to come back to him as his wife. And in like manner, God says that we are, I think of uh, Hosea and Gomer. God used Gomer as the illustration of what Israel was like to God the Father. And she went away, and he brought her back, and she went away, and he redeemed her and brought her back again over and over again. This is the principle that Jesus Christ was trying to emphasize in the New Testament, that if we divorce, you have to realize that only God can separate, I mean, only death can separate a marriage. You can't break a covenant, you can only violate a covenant. And you have to find out what the terms of that covenant might be, and the terms of the marriage covenant, according to God's law, is until death. And sin does not, I mean, sex does not make the marriage, so sex, the lack of sex or violation of the sex agreement cannot break the marriage. The church does not make two people one flesh. The government does not make two people one flesh. It says what God has joined together. Now, that joining comes when two people commit themselves to each other. When they make that commitment, God hears it and says, I cause you to supernaturally become one flesh. This is what it says in Malachi that you... All right, uh, four minutes. Uh, we are going to uh, hold to a strict time standards here. Uh, on the question of does Jesus Christ permit uh, divorce in the New Testament? Is it uh, sanctioned at all? And uh, with the opening comments right now, here's uh, John Malone. John, you have four minutes. Well, I don't know if I'm going to ruin your debate, Marty, but I'm not here to talk about whether Jesus Christ uh, sanctions divorce or not. I'm here to to take up the question of whether whether God recognizes, allows, sanction, and honors remarriage. And I think there's a big difference between those two things, so I'm not here, as I told you last week, I'm not here to, as a pro-divorce speaker. I'm here as a pro-Bible speaker, and I do believe that there are cases where God recognizes, allows, sanctions, and honors remarriage. I find it interesting that, uh, that Mr. Webb... Uh, uh, quoted Genesis 23 and 24 for us, but forgot uh, Genesis 2, 23 and 24, but didn't quote Genesis 2, 25. And I'm going to read it here. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Of course, this is before they sinned. And when they sinned, they became ashamed. And it reminds me of the story that a Bible preacher uh, taught me when he said that he was in, uh, when he was uh, learning uh, in, a, in a Bible class, Somebody said, well, what would have happened if Eve sinned and Adam didn't sin? And the teacher said, well, he did sin, and that's what we have to deal with. And uh, I think when we talk about uh, something as important to everyone as uh, marriage, we need to realize that we did sin, and we do have the problems that emanate therefrom. Uh, So uh, my position will be the position 
broadly taken in this, and I have to answer a wide range of citations here, which puts me really in a hurry, uh, but my position is stated uh, best in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That's where it's stated, where certain questions concerning marriage and remarriage arose in the Corinthian church, and the apostle answered it, and I think this is a poorly understood uh, portion of the scripture. And then I'll l- let me talk a bit, because it seems that we both agree that the word of God is complete, that is plenary, and verbally inspired. I wasn't sure... Uh, about that, because I'd heard that the, I didn't hear all the broadcasts before, but I'd heard that Dr. Webb said something about a, a special revelation that he had 20 years ago. But uh, so I didn't quite know what to expect. But if if the if the whole scripture has been written to us, then we need to take the whole scripture into account, and we can't be finding covenants where they don't exist. Now, to that to that measure, I'll tell you that I do not believe for one second that marriage is a covenant, nor is it ever called a covenant. When uh, covenants, uh, certainly the covenant that God has with Israel, both of them, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, he describes in terms of marriage, but we have to realize that where that, that, that is a literary device that he's using, and uh, uh, there's also, um, uh, because God doesn't really marry, and we also need to realize that marriage is, is not an eternal institution, it is an institution for those of us that are living, and, and, and finally, I'm going to say, not only is it not a covenant, but it's bondage, according to the Scripture. It's a bond. And a bond is very different than a covenant. Uh, I'm not a fellow that finds covenants all over the, all over the Scriptures, but uh, I can tell you this, that uh, w- between uh, Hosea and Gomer doesn't apply to me, between God and Israel doesn't apply to me, and... Uh, the analogy that was just made about a bill of divorcement and the woman that departs remaining unmarried, a completely different thing. A woman was never allowed to give a bill of endorsement. So uh, we have all kinds of scriptures here that have, been mi- that have been mishandled and maligned, and I hope we can get them straightened out in the course of two hours. We're going to uh, ask uh, Dr. Joseph A. Webb for uh, a three-and-a-half-minute uh, 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 statement next. Thank you, Marty. Appreciate it very much. I, uh, I, I think, as far as I remember, um, Malachi, the second chapter, in verse 14, is part of the Scripture. And it says, Yet we say, ye say, Wherefore, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet she is thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And did not he make one yet had he the residue of the Spirit. That uh, one uh, commentator said what God was actually saying there, if he had wanted a man to have more than one wife, he had enough Spirit left over, he could have made Eve and Sally and, and uh, Brenda and whoever else he wanted to, but he wants two people to come together, and because he hates divorce, absolutely hates divorce, and uh, so he says to take heed to your Spirit that you deal not treacherously. He, he called it a covenant. And so when when we come into... Uh, God speaking to Israel and calling, calling, calling Israel his wife, he says they're in a covenant, and that covenant is going to last forever. And then uh, Brother Malone mentioned that a woman was not allowed to divorce. Well, Jesus didn't know that, evidently, because in Luke, uh, excuse me, in Mark, uh, he said that, uh, verses 11 and 12, And he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away or divorce his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her, and if a woman shall apolu- or divorce her, husband, 
and be married to another, she committeth adultery. There were instances in the New Testament time where women were allowed to divorce a man. And Jesus put the, put it both ways. He said if either one of them divorce the other and remarry, they commit adultery. And let me just in, interject here. The, the first 1,500 years of the early church, and I have all the quotes in writing of the early church fathers, uh, Ignatius, who was a secretary, as it were, of John the Beloved on the Isle of Patmos, uh, every one of them until the 1500s said marriage is for life to divorce and remarry for any reason constitutes adultery, period. Now, of course, they may not have the enlightenment and the knowledge that we have today, but I believe they had a greater understanding of what Jesus and the disciples were saying than we do. It wasn't until the 15th century that this 1 Corinthians 7 that he mentions and Matthew 5 and 19 were brought in by a man who was a defrocked Roman Catholic priest, a sodomite, and a, and a pedophile, and he introduced that teaching during the Reformation period, and some of the um, the uh, Protestants picked it up, and it became what was called the, it was originally the Erasmian view, then it became the Protestant, traditional Protestant view, and today it's called the Matthew-Pauline exception theory. And when it's brought into proper perspective with whatever the other, the other things the apostles said, you know that it's not saying what they would like to have it say, and neither did the early church believe it said that. You have uh, 30 seconds more. Okay, I, I, just, I just simply say that we have to go back to what the early church taught, and the early church never taught the Matthew-Pauline exception theory. That man, Desidrius Erasmus, today in the university libraries is called the Prince of Humanists, and those that are teaching what he taught are teaching pure humanism and not what the early church taught or Christ or Paul taught. When we come back, John Malone's response, and then... Things could get ugly. Well, stay tuned to Marty Stacy Live. Quite rampant in both the uh, church and secular society. Uh, most of us who uh, are, I would say, over about 25 or 30 uh, are aware that divorce is uh, prevalent to an extent it has not been prevalent in uh, recent history in American culture. Uh, ultimately, those of us who are guided by the Scripture and guided by uh, Christ uh, have to wrestle in some way with, uh, is divorce permitted? Those of us who are pastors have to decide, uh, do we marry or remarry uh, particular individuals? Uh, what do you do with people in your congregations who uh, are uh, divorced and remarried? Or maybe, I remember a friend of mine uh, married uh, someone who had been divorced, and uh, that uh, created a controversy. We're going to go right now to uh, John Malone as he continues to develop the opening statements. John, you have uh, three and a half minutes. Go ahead. Okay, well, let me first take up that when I say in Israel divorce is not allowed, I'm, uh, I'm talking about the period of time covered by the giving of the law before Christ fulfilled the law, and in the law of Israel, divorce uh, not offered to women. Uh, but, of course, in Gentile societies, uh, women were able to divorce in Greek society, and uh, we have this big Hellenizing influence of Israel under, under the captivity, so I'm sure that there was uh, all manner of behavior that crept in. So let me just say that. Now, it's interesting, and uh, I, you know, I don't like to call you Dr. Webb, uh, 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 Mr. Webb, because uh, I don't like the term doctor. I don't like what it, what it implies. And I say that because the Scripture also tells us not to call anybody father. And now you're uh, on earth, and you're talking about church fathers. I almost felt like I was back in Catholic grade school 
uh, listening to a bunch of a string of popes. Uh, who's Ignatius? Who's all these fellows that you claim universally say whatever? Uh, <clears throat> those people don't universally say anything, except we know this. They were, this, they were involved, so-called church fathers, as they're so-called, were involved in every kind of error that, that, that is known in the Christian faith. We both agreed we had the plenary, verbal, inspired scripture, so we don't have to care what some alleged homosexual pedophile out of the 15th century thought, or, or whatever. Uh, we don't have to um, go back and see what all the church fathers taught in whatever century you refer. I don't think that's a proper Bible hermeneutic, and uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little surprised that, as, as we agreed in terms, that the Bible was the complete and literal Word of God, I, that means the only Word of God, that all of a sudden we're going to go refer off to uh, church fathers. I'm not surprised, however, because to find this, uh, the pernicious conclusions that you have alleged and the pernicious behavior that you advise people to do, I'm not surprised uh, that that's where the appeal goes. Now, my appeal is to the First Corinthians chapter seven, where we have words and teaching uh, spoken about uh, remarriage and when it is appropriate, when it's not sin, when a brother or a sister is free. And I want to say once again that I am not in favor of divorce. I I do not believe in divorce. I don't think Christians should divorce. But I don't think I should have to say that. That's like having to say I'm against abortion or I'm against murder. I don't think I have to say I'm against evil when I say I believe in the Scriptures. I'm for whatever the Scriptures are for. I'm against whatever the Scriptures are against. But I want to say this. God recognizes, allows, sanctions, and honors remarriage in many, even every condition where they're found. And... Uh, it is not the case that men and women are married, uh, even unlawfully, and that somehow God does not recognize such marriages. All right, uh, we're out of time here. Let's uh, do a quick uh, one-minute uh, rejoinder from uh, Dr. Uh, Joseph Webb. Uh, Dr. Webb, you have one minute. Go ahead. Well, um, um, Marty, the interesting thing to me is that I was taught in college and in seminary that when you refer back, the only reason we know that we have the inspired scriptures today is because those, quote, you can call them church fathers, you can call them those, the church fathers of which I speak, every one of them, gave their lives as martyrs for Jesus Christ. They were sold out to Jesus Christ. And there came a time when these men had to get together and find out what was going to be the canon of scripture. These same men were the ones that heard Paul, that knew that the Apostle Paul said, the things that I teach, teach faithful men who will teach faithful men who will teach faithful men. So we have to go back and find faithful men in the past that were there closer to when it happened than we were, who understood these social circumstances better than we do, because if we don't, we're going to get into our newer translations, which I call the reversed visions today, instead of revised versions, where they're saying, except to be for marital unfaithfulness, except to be for sexual impurity. All right, John, uh, you're one minute. Well, let me say that uh, 
what I'm hearing is what I used to hear out of the Roman Catholics, that the Bible came out of the church and not the church out of the Bible. I have the inspired plenary word of God. It was not due to the devices of men. It was not due to the faithfulness of men. God is the one who is faithful to have preserved his scripture from age to age. One thing the Bible teaches us is God is faithful. Men are not faithful. I'm glad I didn't go to seminary to learn all this kind of, of nonsense. I'm glad that I went to the school of the scriptures. And uh, I don't want to go back into the Catholic Church. God saved me out of being a Roman Catholic, and I'm happy to have my Bible. All right, we will uh, break here and uh, come back. We're debating the question, does uh, Jesus Christ uh, allow uh, divorce in the New Testament? Uh, Joseph Webb, uh, our guest on the phone, John Malone, live in the studio. More in just a moment on Marty Stacy Live. Okay, we're back. Uh, Marty Stacy Live. Uh, debate going on today between Joseph Webb and John Malone on the issue of divorce in the New Testament. Uh, we're going to allot now three and a half minutes to each participant to uh, question the other or make further statements. Uh, Mr. Webb, you can uh, go right ahead. Well, the first question, of course, the first statement I'd like to make to uh, Brother John is that uh, uh, the, the men I'm referring to was not, were not even in the Roman Church. I'm talking about the people of the first three centuries, and it wasn't until 300 that the Roman Church was even established. So I'm talking about those who were those that followed right after the disciples. They had an understanding of the Word also, and they understood the Greek language, the Latin, the, the Hebrew, all those things. They understood that. But now we come up to, we'll jump up real quickly to the Erasmian view, uh, who introduced, Erasmus, who introduced this teaching that you are now teaching, which is pure humanism, out of 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter. Are you saying then in first seven, in chapter 7 where he says, but if the unbelieving depart, let him depart, a brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, that means they can divorce and remarry? Okay, now am I saying, if a brother or sister is, in, is not in, am I saying, uh, is a brother or sister not in bondage in such cases? No, that's the scripture that says that. Okay, now, now, what now, now, when I, when now, I mean, thought when I you mean, interpret that not in bondage, you interpret that for me. Okay, what does that let, mean? That the, the marriage bond is gone. Now, let me answer your charge, though, because this thing about me being pro-divorce, I, you know, Marty's pushed that out. I tried to stop him. Uh, I am not in favor of divorce, but I do believe that the bondage spoken of there is the marriage bond. Well, you see, what you're talking about then are situation ethics. You're involved in situation no, ethics rather than clearly what the Scripture teaches, Brother John, because if Paul were saying there that if they didn't get along because they're believer and unbeliever, and that's the only thing that he said there, that they can separate and now remarried, marry, then, then Paul the Apostle was schizophrenic. Because right above that he said, no, you can live separately or be reconciled. In the verse 39 in the same chapter, he said, they that know the law know that a woman is bound to her husband so long as he liveth, but if her husband be dead, then is she free to marry only in the Lord. And in Romans, the, uh, the seventh chapter, verses 1 through 3, they that know the law know that a woman is bound to her husband so long as he liveth, but if her husband be dead, then she's free to remarry. But if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, regardless of the circumstances, be married to another man, she should be called an adulteress. Now, if Paul is, an, is a schizophrenic, then we can't believe anything he says. But one thing we, we can't tell you, I won't tell you what that means there, but I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean they can divorce and remarry, according to that, even though Erasmus introduced that into the church. And, Paul, and Martin Luther said, don't have anything to do with that man. He was an enemy of God in his word. He died without light, without the truth. And he stirred up the basest passions of little boys and treated Jesus Christ like a core clown. 
this was never even taught in the church. And all we had the whole New Testament and the Old Testament for the 1,500 years. It was never taught until this man came in and taught that. And he did it because he was a friend of King Henry VIII who wanted to divorce his wife of 28 years. So what you're, what you're actually saying is Paul the Apostle is schizophrenic if you're saying that he means there that you can get divorced or married. That word bondage there simply means you don't have to be treated like a vassal slave anymore and fulfill all the duties of a husband or a wife. If they won't live with you, you can move out and live separately like you're unmarried, like it says there in verse 11, or wait for reconciliation and get back together again. Well, why do you say that? Because they're in a covenant, and that covenant is until death. Paul said it over and over again, born until the death. If the husband be dead then she can marry again. But if while her husband liveth and she gets divorced and remarried, she will be called an adulteress. No, he didn't say she will be. She, he says call her an adulteress. All right. Uh, Joseph Webb uh, has concluded his three and a half minutes. By the way, this uh, program uh, will be re-aired tonight from 11 till 1 o'clock. All right. Uh, for three and a half minutes, uh, we go back to uh, John Malone, who can use the time either to articulate his position or uh, question uh, Joseph Webb. Uh, John? Well, this is the first time I've been classed with a pedophile and so forth. Uh, so, uh, well, uh, and, and now I'm accusing the Apostle Paul of being sch uh, schizophrenic. I, you know, really, I should, maybe I should just walk off the air. But no, I won't. Um, let's uh, look here at what bondage means. And now we'll look at the scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In, in opening the conversation about marriage, uh, the Apostle Paul lays out that marriage, he never says it's a covenant, but he does say it's, a bo it's bondage. In fact, uh, the way he says it, and this is something that, that people ought to be cautious about before they get married. I know young girls fall in love, and young men even get a little crazy about marriage, and they don't realize what a problem it is, uh, trouble in the flesh and, all, and, and other problems that go along with the, with the really great things about marriage. But it says in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 7, uh, the wife has not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband has not power of his own body, but the wife. So here we see that when you're married, your wife is in charge of your body. If she wants you to, if she has a need, you are to render to her due benevolence. And that this, is, this is comely speech uh, by the King James translators. It's well, of course, it's the word of God. It's comely speech to talk about the obligations of sexual gratification in marriage. And now it says the wife doesn't have power of her own body, and the husband has not power of his own body. But her body is for him, his body is for her. That is bondage. I mean, when somebody else rules your body, that is bondage. And so when later in the same passage, uh, when, when, the, when Paul gets done talking to the believers who are married, and he says to these, these believers who are married, he says, don't let the wife depart from her husband. But if she does, disobey that command. Remain unmarried. First of all, I'll point out to you that she's unmarried. He says remain unmarried, stay unmarried. So she's unmarried or be reconciled to her husband and let not the wife, husband do putting away. Then he says, but to the rest speak I, not the Lord. And that is not that the Lord doesn't say this. It's that the Lord never talked about this. If the Lord never talked about the case where a brother had an unbelieving wife or the sister had an unbelieving husband. He never talked about that because the Word of God now is out to the Gentiles where that happens all the time. And in that case, uh, the, the, he says to the believer, don't you leave, don't you be the one that leaves, but if the other one leaves you, if you're abandoned, 
you're, bond, you're not in bondage in such cases. And then later, he'll even point out that the one who's loosed from a wife, he recommends he not marry, but if he does, he has not sinned. That's right in the scripture, 1 Corinthians 7. All right, uh, John, you have 30 seconds left if you oh, want to use it. Well, no, I just had miscalculated my time. So I'll, let me look down here and uh, uh, point out where the apostle says, uh, now he's saying concerning virgins, which clearly mean the unmarried here, because he includes, are you bound unto a wife? Don't seek to be loosed. And, of course, that's, that's the apostle's uh, recommendation. Don't be looking to get out of your marriage. Are you loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife, but and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. So the one who's loosed from a wife, he doesn't sin when he marries. All right, more of the debate. Now with three and a half minutes for either a comment or questioning, here's uh, Joseph Webb. Uh, Joseph, uh, please start now. Well, uh, first of all, let me just assure John that I'm not accusing him of being uh, a follower of a pedophile. In fact, I went all the way through college and seminary never knew that this teaching came from Erasmus. I didn't know that it was later called the traditional Protestant view and today called the Matthew Pauline exception theory. But when I did find out, I realized that Jesus said you can't get sweet water out of a bitter spring. And uh, when I found out the source of that teaching, it made me dig all the deeper to find out why the early church taught what it taught. And just because I believe in the early church does not mean I believe in Romanism, and neither does it mean anyone else does. But we had those men earlier that put our scripture together, what we call the canon of scripture. But the men before the Roman church even, these men knew the apostles, and they had received it firsthand, and they're the ones who said, marriage is for life. And they said, the Bible teaches, the scripture teaches, that you, if you get divorced for any cause whatsoever and remarry, it's adultery. That's what Jesus said in Luke 16, 18. Whosoever, the same word found in John 3, 16, whosoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. That doesn't need interpretation. And whoever divorces her that was put away in that same divorce causes her to commit adultery. Now, the only way that can be adultery is that the covenant can be violated, but it cannot be broken. The husband and the wife have committed themselves till death. And the Bible says it's better never to make a vow to God than to make it and to break it. The seriousness of a vow can be explained with uh, Jacob and Esau. Esau, a flippant teenager, said to his brother Jacob, yeah, you can have my birthright for a little bit of that food. Well, swear to me. Okay, I swear you can have it. Give it here. So he ate it, and later on it said he wept tears of repentance but it didn't change the covenant. God forgave him for his stupidity and his flippancy, but the covenant still stood. Jacob still got that birthright. And that's where we don't, that's where we're, we're way off base today in many of our churches. We don't realize the difference between a covenant and just an agreement. And marriage is a divine covenant that God himself established in the Garden of Eden. Now, as far as that portion he gave about your body belongs to her and hers belongs to him, that's giving title of your body to each other, and that's another reason why you can't get remarried. You no longer have title to your body, and if you come to another woman after you've, quote, gotten your divorce, God says that is a forbidden vow. I will not hear that vow because you have no body to give to that other person. You've already given it until your death to the first one. You have uh, 45 seconds left if you'd like to uh, use another 45 seconds, uh, Joseph. I just want to uh, emphasize the fact that uh, not only 
does the teaching that Brother Malone has been following go with First Corinthians, the seventh chapter? But then they jump over in what I call the five-word school, except it be for fornication, except it be for adultery, they call it. But the word is pornea, it's very different from adultery, and I can prove that by Galatians 5, where it says, Be not deceived, neither, and First uh, Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. So it can be specific, it can be narrow, and that's the use here in, in 5 and 19, except it be for fornication, which is proven by Matthew, the first chapter, where it talks about Mary and Joseph being husband and wife, yet they were only betrothed. He thought she had committed fornication. He was going to divorce her quietly. All right, time is up uh, for Joseph Webb. Uh, John Malone, three and a half minutes. Well, I, you know, as again, once again, I mean, it's just a shotgun approach. You know, when, when so many things are wrong, it's, it's hard to co- correct them all. I'll just remind the listeners who've been uh, listening to the life of uh, Jacob and Esau that uh, the Bible teaches in, in Romans chapter 9, that the election of Jacob, that the, the, the election of Israel stood on God's election before either one of them ever did anything. And uh, we do find out about uh, Esau's character that he despised his birthright. And uh, when he went crying, he wasn't after his birthright, if you remember, he wasn't after crying. He was, uh, when he cried, he was after the blessing. Uh, <clears throat> he realized that he'd already lost his birthright. But uh, this kind of carelessness about the Scripture, I, the reason I point this out is this carelessness concerning the Scripture is marking all kinds of things that come to these bizarre conclusions uh, in, in action uh, that, uh, that Mr. Webb is, is coming to. Um, now, as far as what the Scripture teaches, uh, the, it's, it's true that the, the Scripture teaches that uh, there is a marriage bond and that the body uh, of the husband uh, is the wife's. Uh, in, in term, and of course that has to do with sexual relations and vice versa. But when, when the scripture teaches, when the Apostle Paul writes, a brother or sister is not in bondage in such, circumstance, in, in such cases, and that's 1 Corinthians 7 verse 15, but God has called us to peace, that follows up the admonitions of scripture in 1 Corinthians 7, and there are several admonitions in this uh, passage which people don't uh, which which many Christians take very lightly an admonition to let for example is taken very lightly uh, for example it says uh, it, it, if the unbelieving depart let them depart now uh, of course uh, there are those who won't let the unbelieving depart but who chase them around uh, I remember Bill Gothard had a uh, uh, Hosea theory, uh, where God told Hosea to marry a wife of adultery. He didn't tell you to do that. And um, they say, go pray, hedges of thorns around them, go chase them around. Uh, whereas God says, if the unbelieving depart, let them. And uh, if you will let them, and just go on, uh, where it says in, in 1 Corinthians 7.15, if the unbelieving depart, let him depart, uh, you do very well. And this is the advice to Christians. The other advice to Christians at the top of this uh, chapter is that it tells us, it's whereof concerning the things you wrote to me, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. That word also can mean kindle. It, uh, the, <coughs> the, the word in its uh, uh, primary form means to light up or kindle. 
And then later it says, if they cannot contain, in verse 9, let them marry, it is better to marry than burn. Marriage is the solution to the problem of fornication. And this was a huge problem, sex outside marriage, and still is a huge problem in the, in the, in the world of Gentiles. And so it tells us this, let every man have his own husband and let every wife have her or let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband and that's really the overreaching 